and welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on how you can be a part of Refuge Church, join us on Sunday mornings in Jacksonville at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. Or visit our website at refugejackschurch.com. In this week's podcast, we are continuing our sermon series, All Hail King Jesus. Thank you for listening. And uh, welcome to Refuge. Happy Easter. He is risen. Sound like you mostly believe it. So that's, that's, a, good, that's a good start. First service was like, he's risen indeed. And I was like, man, come on. I know it's raining, but come on, man. Uh, I'm Pastor Josh. I'm the pastor here. If you're a guest, let me just say we're super excited that you're here. We're, we're grateful, and I'd love to connect with you after the gathering uh, next door or down front, wherever is best for you. Uh, there's always two important things to do on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, number one is to celebrate the risen Savior, to talk about the resurrection, which we'll do. But first, I always need to correct those who struggle and live in darkness. So uh, let me present to you this. The best way to eat peeps is to throw them in the trash, okay? Uh, somebody actually, after the first gathering, we shared this, and they brought me a thing of peeps. Uh, there's a reason I don't have them in my hand now. So listen, today the appropriate candy is the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Egg, okay? For those who think you read, for those who disagree... Our elders meet in a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll have some anointing oil, and we will change your heart through the work of the Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, man, hey, welcome. Happy Easter. I do hope that today, I know the rain and the cold, and they go, well, what is this about? Man, I do hope that today's a day of celebration and encouragement for you. Um, Easter's kind of like the Super Bowl for churches, and so it has been that for us, full of excitement, full house, uh, people putting away busyness to be here. You got new shirts, new dresses, pastels. Uh, I watched this morning as Zoe, our soon-to-be four-year-old, ate. I don't know how much chocolate like you can do before 7 a.m., but she won. Okay, so uh, there's that. So uh, I'm sorry, Miss Barb, for whatever's happening back there currently with Zoe. So it's probably not good. She might be flying. So um, remember, that's kind of part of what it's about today. But here's what I want to do today. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one uh, in the pew um, that you can use. And if you want to use your phone, you are more than welcome to do that. Let me just tell you this. Uh, we're going to walk through the book of John. We're going to look, I, I want to say sorry, but I'm not going to. We're going to look at like seven different passages in the book of John today. We're going to kind of walk through it and point out some things. Um, if you want to use your phone, if you want to use your Bible, that's totally fine. If you have, Actually, in fact, if you're using one of the Bibles that we provided, one of the black ones, and you decide you want to take that one home, it might be helpful. You're welcome to do that. Consider it a gift. We'd love to give you that. But what I want to do is, is I want to walk through the book of John, getting us to the hope of the resurrection. And so, and so one of the challenges, maybe is a good word, at Easter is to walk in church and know that we've, we've all heard this message if you've been in church. Uh, Jesus died on the cross and he came back. So, so how do we not see it as a habit or routine today? And, and what I want to do, or make an attempt to do, is to make Easter as personable as possible by looking at Easter through one of Jesus' closest disciples. One who, at the end, we're going to see, fails epically, but in Jesus found renewal, not in his own efforts. Uh, so as we begin, and, and I'll say this throughout if you're new, I'd love for you to write a few things down. The first thing I want you to write down is this, is that renewal begins with forgiveness. That renewal, and what we're going to see with Peter, begins with forgiveness. Now, if you are taking notes and you wrote that down, I'll give you one more thing to write down because it's kind of where we'll conclude today, but it's a question. And the question is, what does God think of you? What does God think about you? What does God think of you today? 
The disciple that I want to kind of journey along with with you in John chapter 1 and then throughout John is the disciple Peter. Uh, Peter, most people will say they relate most to Peter. I don't know if it's because he's brash or abrupt or cusses a little, breaks stuff. He's imperfect and his imperfections are kind of what make him relatable and what kind of draw us in. And if you're unaware of this, God actually is going to use Peter to start the church at Rome one day. But Peter failed, in the, not in Rome, but the church one day. Peter failed in the greatest way possible. Not once, not twice, and you probably know the account, but, but three times and still found forgiveness rather than shame and guilt. So that forgiveness brought total renewal to his life. And so I'd like to look at the Gospel of John uh, and to Peter's experiences specifically with Jesus. So here's what this is going to feel like. Turn the page. All right, look at this. All right, turn the page. All right, look at this. Turn the page. I just, I'm, I'm letting you know right now, um, typically Monday, Tuesday, on our website, we load all these notes on there. So if you're like, what was that section or passage? It'll all be on there, and you can check that out Monday or Tuesday. So this will be a little different than let's just turn to Luke 23 and read the resurrection. This is grab a Bible and let's kind of journey through a little bit together. Um, the only thing I was told after the first service was slow down a little. So I will do my best. If you've heard me preach, you know that's already hard. Okay, that's, you can pray for that now, okay? So through the eyes of Peter, we're going to see eight interactions with Jesus. So John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. So eight interactions. So you know you're going to turn through the book of John a lot. The good news is only 21 chapters and we only have 30 minutes, Okay. Verse 35 says, so, so this is following Jesus' 30 years of just being a dude as a carpenter, and now he is stepping into his full-time, his ministry. He's going to spend the next two or three years teaching, healing, performing miracles, and then go to the cross. This is that transition. Verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And look what Jesus does. He just turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? It's a good question for us to answer today. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come and you will see. So they, they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Peter's brother. Verse 41, 41, he first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah. And then verse 42 starts off by saying this, and he brought him to Jesus. So every person is in church today, here today or another church, because they experienced an Andrew. Someone on some level is trying to share and bring you to Jesus. And maybe they like, hey, hey, we're going to go to Chili's for lunch, and instead of going to Chili's, they brought you here first. Like, I don't know how that played out for you, but every one of us, whether it was our mom when we were young, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, every one of us are here because on some level, somebody's trying to bring us to Jesus, and on some level, someone brought us to Jesus. Everyone is here because of that. This is what Andrew's doing in verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. And check out Jesus' first, inter this is his first interaction with Peter. Verse 42, he brings him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, for the record, if you meet someone for the first time and they try to change your name, usually a red flag. <laughs> if it's Jesus, you can give a little grace, no pun intended, right? This idea of Cephas means rock. And so, really, Jesus has already begun to speak over some truth over Peter that Peter doesn't understand yet. 
Peter was once this rash and impulsive, cussed a little, will soon be known as a rock that Jesus is going to use to build his church. But Jesus doesn't, but Peter doesn't understand this yet. What I want you to see in this first encounter is this. You can write this down. That Peter encounters Jesus and Jesus accepts him as he is. What he doesn't do is go, go clean your life up, be better, do this, be more. But he accepts him as he is. So from this point forward, Peter's going to follow Jesus everywhere. So all the famous stories you've heard about Jesus, he's going to see Jesus witness them taking place. So if you look at chapter 2, and this is where it's going to go kind of quickly, but I want you to follow along. If you have a Bible or a phone, you'll just kind of turn the pages. You'll see the, basically the headlines. Chapter 2 is the famous Jesus turning water into wine. Most scholars say it's the first miracle that Jesus ever did. Peter witnesses it. At the end of chapter 2, you see Jesus going into the temple, seeing that the temple is no longer a place of worship and prayer, and this is where you get that he, he makes the whip of cords and he starts flipping some tables. Who's seeing this? Peter. If you flip the page to John chapter 4, there's a famous account, again, if you've been in church, of Jesus and the woman at the well. And if you know the account, Jesus shows up exhausted, weary, and he sits down at a well, and the disciples actually leave him to go find something to eat. And as they leave him, a lady shows up from Samaria. Jews and Samarians hated one another. There was racial tension that divided them to the point of they would not speak to one another. And Jesus looks up and goes, can I get some water? And just tears down all kind of walls, eventually sharing the kingdom of God with this lady at the well. In John chapter 5, the next chapter, the next page possibly, we assume Peter's there. One of the disciples sees this take place. But it says he shows up at a pool on the Sabbath, a healing pool, and there's a man who's been crippled, crippled to the point of can't move himself uh, a few feet, and he's been that way for 38 years, crippled, 38 years, can't move himself. It says when the water is stirred so that he can get some comfort from what's ailing him, and it says Jesus heals this guy on the Sabbath. In John chapter 6, Peter's there when Jesus feeds the 5,000. With what? You know the story, right? A couple fish, some bread, not a lot. And, and, and then if you thought that wasn't enough, he's going to turn around and walk on the water at the end of chapter 6. And this is important because why? Peter's seeing all of this. Peter's witness to so much of this is taking place. And then it gets kind of wild. At the end of John 6, or 6 starting around verse 54, Jesus is going to give this really hard teaching. And in doing so, He's going to cost himself a large number of his followers. So, so he's kind of like reverse church planting. Like he's got some followers and he's going to give a hard teaching and like most of the room leaves. That's literally what we're going to read here. Verse 54 says, this is what Jesus, this is the teaching Jesus is going to give. Whoever uh, feeds on my flesh, drinks on my blood, has eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day. Now, we don't have time to go into what Jesus is saying like in detail. We're going to do that the last two Sundays of Easter or of April, honestly. But here's, here's, here's ultimately what Jesus is communicating there. He's speaking of giving up his life for those he loves, and that one day you and I will celebrate the fact that he did that through communion or the Lord's Supper, that we will be with him now and then for eternity, and that's how we remember what he did. He's also speaking of his resurrection and our future resurrection, a wild and misunderstood thing in that day. So again, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Whoa, it's a little too much for me, Jesus. And so they all leave, verse 65, if you jump down a little bit. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. 
Verse 66, after this, look what it says. Many of his disciples turned back, and they no longer walked with him. So how does Jesus respond? He doesn't go, hey, come back. What does he do? He says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Peter, being the brash guy that he was, looks up and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter has seen Jesus heal, provide. Again, this would have gotten me. Walk on the water? He's gotten as close to Jesus as anyone and doesn't want to know life apart from Jesus. Peter is fully committed. He loves his Lord. Here's what we begin to see about Peter. He he will never turn away is what he believes. He is strong. He is a rock, remember? Peter finds himself at, at at this second encounter at a place where, only, where he only has Jesus. And he has chose to follow Jesus, and as the hymn says, no turning back. Now, following this encounter, we get a few more wild things that take place. John chapter 8, if you want to turn there, beautiful account, hard account, of a woman who's been caught in adultery and brought to Jesus and thrown at Jesus' feet. And if you know this account, it's, just, it's, it's world famous. People quote it and they don't even realize they're quoting scripture. But he says, let... let Um, verse 7, let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her, be the first to condemn her. Whoever is sinless can condemn her. And it says, following that, starting with the oldest, they begin to all walk away. Then Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, verse 10, where are you? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one. And he says, neither do I go from now on and sin no more. And then in John chapter 9, I mean, you got to imagine Peter's going, wow, he heals a blind man. John chapter 10, it gets a little weird because Jesus begins to start claiming he's God. So make or break point for Peter. And then in chapter 11 becomes one of the, another one of these famous encounters where Jesus, someone shows up and says, hey, Lazarus is sick, he's about to die. And the, the account says, as that person's saying that in John 11, another person shows up and goes, he's dead. And it says in everybody's favorite memory Bible verse that Jesus wept. And then following that, Jesus goes to the house three days later and raises up Lazarus to the point of there probably was a smell. Like they saw this. Peter's witness to this. It's not ironic that he waits three days either. Sound familiar? And then in John chapter 12, and we read through this last week, Mary pours pure nard, it says, onto Jesus' feet and then washes his feet with her hair. And then just a, a few moments later, Some disciples go and get a colt. They stick Jesus on the colt, John chapter 12. And he enters into Jerusalem with people saying, all hail the king. They wanted a king. The king they got was not the king they wanted. It's what we talked about last week. And then in probably the the, the most humbling and intimate moment to this point in the third, one of the third interactions we're going to see is John chapter 13. If you'll turn there if you haven't yet. Is Jesus is going to wash his disciples' feet. And this is where we see Peter personality on full display. Look at verse 6 of John chapter 13. So he's going around the room washing the disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter and Peter asks, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus says, what what I'm doing now, you you do not understand. But afterward, you will understand. (laughs) I love Peter's response. Uh, Peter says, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I don't wash your feet... You have no share with me. And Jesus is telling and teaching, I came to serve, not to be served. And then verse 9, as I feel like I would respond this way, then Jesus, not just my feet, <laughs> start with my head. Do all of me. 
In your presence, Lord, I am a filthy mess, and it's become obvious. Lord, not just my feet, but also my hands and my head. Peter doesn't understand his leader, his teacher, his hero is trying to serve him in this completely humbling way. What I want you to see is Peter's commitment to the Lord is unwavering. Peter has gone from encouraging Jesus, excuse me, encountering Jesus, to following Jesus, to now being served by Jesus. Peter has committed his life to following Jesus. He's left everything behind. He is committed. He is strong. He is willing. What's his nickname? He's not the rock. That's a wrestler. He's a rock. Interesting interaction. Shortly after washing his feet, if you'll look over uh, at verse 36, Jesus and Peter have another encounter, a personal encounter. Verse 36 says, Simon Peter looks up and says, Lord, where are you going now? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you can't follow me. Which is kind of a weird answer unless you realize what he's saying. It's like saying, hey, Josh, where are you going to lunch? And I say, I can't, you know, you can't follow me to lunch. Like, that's, why would you say that? But what Jesus is actually saying here is, I'm going to die on the cross. But look what he says. But you will follow afterward. Your time's coming. It's not yet. And Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you? Get this line. Like, get it. Like, we do these kind of things when we get married. We make these big, massive promises like we can actually do it. He says, I will lay down my life for you. And, and kind of insulting, Jesus is like, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll actually deny me three times. Now, if you're having just a moment between two friends, and you look at them and go, I will lay down my life for you. And they're like, Psh. <laughs> that stings a little. It's a little awkward. This is what Jesus does. He makes things awkward, it feels like. But Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. What I need you to see there is the effort Peter's saying. I will do that. I, God. Jesus, I will do that. I, I, I feel like this moment, Peter might have walked away confused and maybe frustrated. I just shared with how I feel about you, Jesus, and your response was to tell me that I'm going to deny you. I would never do such a thing. In John chapter 14, Jesus is going to proclaim this, this, this hard truth that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to God. John 15 is this beautiful chapter on intimacy with the Lord where Jesus teaches that he is the vine and we are the branches. John 16, Jesus is going to share this really hard teaching that if you're going to be his disciple, you will be hated by the world. John 17, Jesus prays for his followers in what's called the high priestly prayer. And then if you'll jump to John chapter 18, if you haven't turned there, it all falls apart. So Jesus has been arrested. Judas has turned him in. And he's about to go stand trial illegally for what he's done. And if you look at John 18, starting in verse 15, remember the guy who said, I will give up my life for you? I will lay down my life for you. Look at verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But look at this chicken. But, G but Peter stood outside the door. Like, let's see that. Let's make sure we see what's happening there. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So there's almost like he's like, I'm not going in there. You're not going to see me as a part of that. And the girl goes, get in here. Get in here. Like he's, she brings him in. And the servant girl gets him inside and then looks up and says, look at this, verse 17. You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Verse 18, now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire. 
don't know if you take notes in your Bible. I think that's really important. Sometimes you get these little details like this, and it's really important. Would you man, just kind of remember that or highlight charcoal fire? Why? Because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves, and Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. I get a picture of this. Jesus, Peter is standing not far from Jesus, who's being mocked, who's being tortured, who's on trial, and he's standing there by a charcoal fire with those who hate Jesus, warming himself. It's a pretty dramatic thing taking place. Verse 25, if you jump over a few verses. Now Simon Peter was standing, warming himself, and so they said to him, you also are not one of the disciples, are you? You see what they're asking? Weren't you with Jesus? And he denied it, I'm not. And then one of the servant girls of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, it's kind of, if you don't know the story in another gospel account, when Jesus shows up to get arrested, Peter jumps up and I guess cuts a guy's ear off as if that's going to stop this charade. I, like, I don't, I, you know, you got to wonder about Peter sometimes, but that's where I feel like there's some kinship, like, oh, you'll cut a guy's ear off. That's going to stop it all. Great. Okay. But this guy knew Peter. Why? Because Peter had cousin, cut his cousin's ear off, right? And he says, didn't I see you in the garden? What's he saying? Hey, you cut my cousin's ear off. You were there. Peter denies it again, and at once the rooster crowed. Now, can you put yourself in Peter's shoes for a minute? When the rooster crowed, you know, and I know, that Jesus' words rang loudly in his ears. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Remember who Peter is? Strong, committed, follower of Jesus. What did Jesus call him? Cephas, a rock. And he had failed. Peter had failed. He had been crushed by his own actions. Even knowing this day would come, he failed. He is broken. I mean, I, you know, if there's questions you can ask God, one of the questions is, God, if I'm ever just going to screw up early, would you tell me what day that is so I can stay in bed? I mean, wouldn't this, he knew this was coming. Not only is Peter broken here, but again, put yourself in his shoes. There's a little bit of conjecture, I get that, but put yourself in his shoes for a minute. As Peter is warming himself by a charcoal fire, watching his Lord Jesus, who he claims to love more than anything, be tragically and brutally killed. I imagine Peter thought it was all over. Here's, here are the thoughts I think Peter must have had. This is the thoughts I would have had. Jesus died, I failed. It's as if everything Jesus taught him and all the miracles he had done in front of him didn't matter. I imagine Peter thinking something like this. When it mattered most, I failed. That Jesus died alone, Peter might be thinking. I would think this, and I failed him. Here's, here's what he's thinking. I wasn't strong enough. We could pivot for a moment. Many people feel the same sense of dread, loss, grief, and brokenness today. When it mattered most in my life, when it mattered most in my faith, when it mattered most to those around me, when it mattered most to those I love, even I failed. Put yourself there. Peter failed and watches Jesus get crucified. When it mattered most, I failed. When I was needed most, I was absent. Knowing it was coming, I still failed. When I was at my personal strongest, I was weak and I failed. And one of the truths we see in just Peter's life, if we pull back, is this. And, and please, this is the whole reason we have Easter, guys, and the reminder. If my faith and my salvation and my relationship with God is up to me and my faithfulness, my morality, or my strength, I will fail every time. 
One day we can stand before Peter in heaven and go, thank you for showing me that with your life. The good news is it's not about you. It's not about your goodness, your faithfulness, your morality, or your strength. The whole point of the resurrection is it's not up to you. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can work towards, nothing to earn. Jesus did the work we couldn't do and then offered it to us as a gift. Now think about your birthday. You get a gift on your birthday. You don't return with a gift. You receive a gift. You're thankful. Back to Peter. Jesus is dead. All hope is seeming lost. There's brokenness. Again, put yourself in his shoes. I imagine he's exhausted. Can't sleep. Either can't eat or is eating his feelings, depending on where he lands in that whole world. Oh, you know this? Okay, good. All right. But there's more, right? We have a few more interactions. John chapter 20, if you'll turn there. So again, you've got to imagine Peter for three days is just wrestling. He's, heard, he's rethinking of what Jesus taught, rethinking of what could I have done different. And then John chapter 20, verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, this is really important for our theology. As Christians, uh, they didn't have to remove the stone for Jesus to come out. Please know that this morning. No stone holds Jesus down. They removed the stone so that we could look in and see that he's not there anymore. That's for us. That stone doesn't keep, like, knock it down. But for us, we get to do what Peter and the disciple who loves him are about to do and look in and see that he's not there. Mary goes to find Peter, and his tomb is open. Verse 2 says, She ran and went to Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to him, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Can you, can you again put yourself, like, let's not jump ahead, because it's resurrection, it's resurrection Sunday. I get all that. Paul, slow down. Put yourself back in Peter's shoes. Here, here's what I think Peter did. I, the conjecture, like, fully, just so we're clear. It's not in a commentary. This is Josh's brain. I think Peter hears that, and here's an opportunity, an opportunity to be strong, to make amends, to clear his name, to do his own work. Here's what I think. I think Peter believed he was going to become Liam Neeson in all ten Taken movies and become the hero, right? I'm just going to take them all out, and I'm bringing Jesus back. Save the day, save face. In our souls, just like Peter, we listen, our souls long to make things right. And I would tell you the greatest truth is this. You can't make things right. Only Christ could. Jesus is and can only be our justifier. So Peter heads to the tomb. It, the scriptures kind of make fun of Peter. He gets there late. <laughs> He's kind of slow. I don't know why. Maybe he did eat his feelings. We don't know. Verse 5 through 9, though, says, And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went to the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths. Again, he's late, right? And the face of the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciples who reached the tomb first also went in, saw and believed. Verse 9 says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Verse 10, Then the disciples go home. Like completely lack of emotion in verse 10. You, you want to read that as they got excited, they started a church, they recorded an album. Like they just go home. I think there's a bewilderment there, right? And then look at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She wept and stood and looked. And what you're going to see in the next couple of verses is Jesus begins going around and revealing himself first to Mary Magdalene, then to his followers, his disciples, Thomas, the one who doubted, proving his resurrection. I imagine many were celebrating as if they'd encountered Jesus. This is resurrection. Testimonies, worship services. He's back. 
I wonder, though, about Peter. Can we go back to Peter? I wonder if Peter felt like their relationship would never be the same. He had failed his Lord so greatly at such a great time of need. Remember who Peter was. He thought he was strong enough, good enough, committed enough, moral enough. And then he wasn't. Peter had to, had to have thought that his relationship with Jesus, and maybe you're here this morning, was irreparable. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done, Josh. You're right. I don't. I don't think Peter fully grasped what Jesus returning from the grave really meant. Because I think what Peter needed is what you and I need, is personal renewal. The message of the resurrection is beautiful, but if it's not personal to me, it doesn't matter. He needed to experience true and real personal mercy and forgiveness from his Savior. Turn to John chapter 21. This is encounter number seven. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples, and he did it this way, is what it says. Verse two, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And verse three is really powerful, but you can miss it. He says, Peter looks up and says, I'm going to go fishing. But he's actually saying more than he's going to go fishing. This isn't, I'm going to go throw a line in down by the water. This is, well, I'm going to go fishing because that life with Jesus is over. I screwed it all up. It's now back to my life before Jesus. I think what you see when he says, I'm going fishing, is I'm going to return to who I was. I failed when it mattered most. Verse 4, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. There he goes again, being sneaky, right? Verse 5, Jesus said to them, children, <laughs> can we just pause? That's not nice. <laughs> like, I'm 41, and if I'm fishing, and Craig walks up and goes, hey, child, like, I, yeah, we're going to fight. Like, I'm just not going to go well, right? I, I don't know why he calls them children. I, you think in that moment they would have realized who it was. And what does he say? Have you caught any fish? No. So he, I'm exactly like them as a fisherman, right? Verse 6, and he said to them, Cast it on the other side. Remember this? He did this, you know, in, in the Gospel of Luke a different time. And they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Verse 7 is just one of the most beautiful verses. Check this out. Then the disciple who loved Jesus, you, you get the impression that he was much more intelligent or with it than Peter. Peter's always behind. Oh, look what he says. Then the disciple who loved Jesus looks at Peter, and I have this underlined in my Bible, and says, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter, heard, Simon Peter heard that, he put on his outer garment, put off his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Like, please get a picture. We know he's slow, running, slow in general. I don't think it was just gracious, like, when he just, like, you know, gainer. I, I think he's, like, taking it off and falling out of the boat. He's just, he, but here's why. Because he just wants to get back to Jesus, the one who made so much sense. I have in my notes, he left everything. Like him doing that could have cost the fishing industry, could have cost the boat, could have cost him his nets, could have cost him his poles if he had one. A move like this would have cost him everything. Peter thought he had lost Jesus before and did not want it to happen again. But here's what Peter, I think, was angling for. Where do I stand with Jesus? And church, isn't that the question that we're all asking and where do I stand with God? What does God think of me? If he truly knows everything about me, what does he think of me? I think we all, on some level, wrestle with that question. And so the account 
you can continue with me in verse 8. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the nets full of fish. Thanks, Peter. For they were not far from land, but a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. When was the last time we saw a charcoal fire? The last time Peter stood and denied Jesus. I mean, there are times that things just trigger us, do they not? I don't know what your life is like, but they, like failures of the past, challenge of the past can just be triggering. I think that had to be incredibly triggering. I, I bet he froze. The last time he saw a charcoal fire, he was standing there denying Jesus in his presence. And it says in verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And now one of the disciples dared and asked him, who are you? And they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was the third time Jesus revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And this last section is incredibly powerful. You get a Jesus and Peter sit down. The thing that, that caused Peter to lunge out of the boat, he's about to have it. And Jesus looks up, verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, now, I want you to get this picture. Simon's not alone. There's at least five or six other guys with him who'd been fishing, disciples. So they're all sitting there with Peter. And it says, Jesus looks up to Peter and says, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, do you love me, Peter, more than everybody else is sitting in this circle around the charcoal fire eating fish? Are you a stronger Christian than them? Are you more faithful than them? Are you more religious than them? Are you more sinless than them? This is the question he's asking is, do you love me more than everybody else that's present? Is your love for me stronger than theirs? What's he say? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord. And he said, tend my sheep. And then verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Look what Peter was grieved, annoyed, frustrated. Yeah, you've asked me twice. Like Peter would say, I realize I'm slow, but you've already asked me twice. Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. Jesus says what? Feed my sheep. He asks Peter three times. Peter gets frustrated. You, you know I do. The reason this is so important for us today is this. Jesus is doing everything he can to show Peter his love and his strength and his commitment to Jesus is not enough. Peter had based his entire faith on loving Jesus more than others, on being faithful, on being a strong Christian. And then he denied knowing Jesus. And what Jesus is trying to show him is, Peter, you've become so self-righteous, you believe you can get to God on your own. You believe your effort and your strength are enough. In fact, he asks him three times to remind him of the three times he denied Jesus. This is the mercy of Jesus at work. Jesus wanted Peter to see what he wants you and I to see. That listen to me if you hear nothing else today, that our standing with God, our salvation... Is not based on our efforts, our morality, or our self-righteousness, but solely on the mercy of God. That's the point of Easter. He did what you could not do. Jesus lived a perfectly moral, sinless life. Jesus died a brutal, horrible death for the sins of the world. He took my punishment on the cross, and his, he died my death and yours. Jesus didn't stay dead, however, and that's why we're here today. 
But three days later, he resurrected. He defeated sin and death so that all those would look to Jesus, place their faith in Jesus, would have right standing with God. If you want to know where you stand with God today, the question is, have you placed faith in Christ? Because if so, when God looks down, he doesn't see you in your sin. He sees Jesus in your place. In Christ, our standing with God is determined. Christ has taken our place. We have been brought, excuse me, bought by the blood of Jesus, his death and resurrection. Our standing with God is Jesus in my place. Back to Peter. Jesus doesn't leave him helpless. With great mercy, he restores Peter. Remember, he's doing this in front of a group. They had to have thought, they had to have questioned him on some level. Can we trust Peter? Because when Jesus needed him, he bailed. No longer was it Peter doing something. It was now Jesus. Here's what I want you to see. Peter did nothing to atone for his failure. Jesus atoned for Peter's failure, and Peter did nothing but receive mercy. Church, Jesus' mercy is our comfort. When we fail, and we will fail, we will fail in Christ. His mercy will restore us. A Puritan named Richard Sibbs says it this way. I'd love for you to write this down, man. It says, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. How beautiful is that? You cannot out his mercy. No matter, like if you go nuts this week, like I'm going to out his mercy, you can't. You still lose at that game. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. This is the point of Easter. He died in your place. He took your punishment. He died my death. He defeated death on my behalf. And then he came back laying a foundation for you and I to do the same one day. Why? Because he's full of mercy. Man, I opened the, 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 the message with this phrase, renewal begins with forgiveness. Peter's failure proves the resurrection. Peter bears witness that Jesus is alive, and he overcomes even the deepest feelings of guilt and shame, offering forgiveness to any and all who would place faith in Christ. Peter's testimony, if he was here, would be this. Your greatest failures, your greatest struggles, your greatest sins, known or unknown, in Christ were crucified with Christ. And his resurrection is about new life offered to you. It's not about what you've done. It's what Jesus has done. We just sang this song. I don't know if you picked this line up, but it's, I don't know what you're doing. You ever feel like that? But what's the next part? But I know what you've done. And that's where I rest. I ask you this question, what does God think about you? I want to send you home with a picture of what I believe God thinks about you based on Scripture for those who are in Christ. What he did for Peter, he offers to you and I. When we receive his mercy as Peter did, we are made new. When we place faith in Christ... In that he did the work, that he died the death and resurrection on my behalf. What God thinks about us is a beautiful picture of renewal and forgiveness. There's going to be a verse on the screen. You can take a picture, write it down, whatever. It's one of a verse that I have to go to often in my own heart. It says this in the book of Isaiah. It says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet. It says, when God looks down, they covered in sin. In Christ, they shall be made white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. In Christ, Jesus literally takes us from this standing before God to this standing before God. This message is powerful only if we carry it with us day after day after day. The beginning, end of 19, look at what Jesus is going to say. Uh, verse 21, chapter 21, verse 19. Then he said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. But that translated is better saying this, keep on following me. 
And the way we keep on following is not working harder, trying more, trying to be a better person, but realizing I was this, but now I'm this because of what Christ has done. In the pew near you, there's a tiny little bag. It looks like this. And there's two little cotton balls. One's white, one's red. One is who I was in Christ. One is who I am in Christ. I don't want you to miss this Easter, the opportunity to see what Christ offers and what Christ has done. I want you to carry it with you this week. We all start here. And then we are offered the opportunity to place faith in Christ. When we do so, he renews us, forgives us, makes us clean, and washes us white as snow. This is what we celebrate today. Uh, One writer said, if Jesus just dies on the cross, we are of all to be pitied because it wouldn't matter. But he came back. He comes back to offer us new life, to offer us renewal, to offer us forgiveness, a hope, and a future with him that he'll come and reign and take us with him again one day. I implore you, man, today that if you've never placed faith in Christ, I'll lead you in a prayer to do so. Uh, what I'd also ask is, is we're not going to stand up. We don't do any of that business. But in the pews, there's a card. And it says gospel decision card. And if you need to talk about placing faith in Christ or today you do that or are going to do that, I would love for you to put your name and phone number. You can leave it in the pew, stick it in the box. You can put it on stage, hand it to me. We want to help you realize that Christ took your place on the cross. And that today is the opportunity. I want to say a hard and heavy thing. And if, you need to, if I need to ask for forgiveness, I'll go ahead and pre-do it. So forgive me if this is too much today. But the thing I'm learning after 23, 24 years of Easter services is next Easter is not promised to every single person in this room. I've done a handful of funerals lately and I've gone, man, I sat with them and saw them on Easter Sunday and hoped to pray with them and miss them. And now they're gone. And I don't mean gone from this city. I mean gone. We aren't guaranteed tomorrow and we aren't guaranteed next Easter. Today is the day of salvation for some. And if that's you, would you pray this with me? And for those who have already placed faith in Christ, would you pray for the boldness and the courage for those around you to pray this? Would you pray this and pray with me? God, God, I need you. And God, I pray that you would save me. Pray that you would become Lord of my life. God, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner. And as the thief said, God, I pray you would remember me in your kingdom one day. And if you prayed that prayer, we, we need to talk. Please find myself or an elder who will be down front after the service or fill out a card. Maybe you came today and you just like, man, this thing, I've been walking with Jesus and it is, I, what I have done is irreparable. Can I just tell you, you cannot out his mercy. You can't. So if you feel like it's irreparable today and you mess up worse tomorrow, you still haven't out his mercy. He is near. We're going to sing a song, and we're going to ask the question in the song, is he worthy? And then we're going to sing, all hail King Jesus. I know it's Easter. I know the masters. I know the chocolate and the coffee and all the things. But man, over the next four or five minutes, would you just spend some time with the Lord, singing, celebrating? Maybe you just need to read back through the book of John. Maybe a passage we read really grabbed your heart. And so, God, I pray you would draw us to you. As your word says in Jonah 2, 9, that you would save, Lord. God, and you would stir us to you, new affections right now. tuning in to the Refuge Church podcast. For more sermons or to learn how you can give to Refuge, check out our website at refugejackschurch.com. For those who have heard the gospel and believe the gospel, go out living the gospel. You are sent.